the scripture reading comes from Joshua chapter 1 and 3 and 4, and it's in your bulletin if you want to follow along. Thank you, Morgan Phillips Kiesler. Uh, most of you all, if you're parents, you remember, or you maybe you're in those days of, you know, you want your child to be successful. You want them to be healthy. You want them to have friends. You want them to do well in some way academically or sports. It's all very normal. And those are fine, but the older you get, you realize, you know, there's only one thing I want. I want them to be 28, stand up, and say they love Jesus. And everything else, as nice as they may be, and joy comes from those things, seeing your kids succeed. If they don't have that one thing, then they can have everything else and not have anything. And so I'm grateful that my kids can do that. That's a, quite a testimony to them and, and the Lord's faithfulness to me in that way. Uh, These are the passages we read 19 years ago, and I want to read them again to you. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over to the Jordan, and you and all this people into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. And every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and the land of the Hittites and the great sea, toward going down to the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out for, for Satim, and they came to the Jordan, and he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the, three, the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levit- Levitical priest, Then you shall set out from your place and follow. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Joshua 4. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho, And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, and he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. 
as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Lord, would you take these words, press them in our souls and our minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1990, Nancy and I bought our first house in Wilmington, North Carolina. It was a little starter home in a subdivision called Fox Run Farm, uh, out towards Monkey Junction on College Road. That was when College Road was just a two-lane road going all, all the way out to Monkey Junction, which is hard to even imagine now. We bought that house for $70,000. I checked on Zillow. It's now for sale for two hundred and fifty. So that's just crazy to me. But in that little house, we started 1,200 square feet, and it was on a little cul-de-sac, and we decided, hey, in the back of our house, we've got some, uh, an easement so we don't feel like we're right up next to our neighbors. Our neighbor to the right had built a fence, and then so we only had one little space on the left that we needed to build a fence. And I thought this was, I'm not a great, great at projects. I like to tell people, what's in my toolbox is a hammer and a cell phone. And if a hammer can fix the problem, I'm good. But if a hammer doesn't fix the problem, I need to call somebody for help. That's my toolbox. But I thought, how hard can it be? I'm not, having, I'm not t- turning a corner. I'm not building a gate. And when I went to, the, to Lowe's Hardware, they already had the, the fence pre-made. So it was an eight-foot panel. All you had to do is put up post and tack the panel up, and you had a fence. So I thought, this is perfect. So I go out there and I do the plumb line. You probably know this, a chalk line to make sure I'm, I'm going to get a straight fence. So I make sure it's straight. Then I put the post in one afternoon. And the next day when the concrete was set, I'm ready to tack up the panels. And so I get this eight-foot panel, which was pretty heavy and bulky, but I managed to sort of hoist it up on some blocks that I put on the post. And I tack it up, and I didn't drive the nails all the way in. I just want to make sure it was just right. And I stood back and looked at it, and honestly, I was proud of myself. I was like, this is incredible, Paul. This thing looks great. And so I measured it again to make sure it was just right. And I realized on the end of the panel that I was going to connect another fence panel to, it was a quarter of an inch off. And I thought, that's awesome. I would have been happy it was an inch off, but a quarter of an inch, no problem. So I take the next panel, I put it up, and of course now when I put the panel up, I'm a little off on one side, which then makes it even a little more off on the next side. So I tack it up and I realize, okay, it's a quarter of an inch off on this side of the eight-foot panel, but on this side, it's three inches off. And I did some quick calculation, and I realized by the eighth panel, my fence would be 30 feet in the air. And I thought, that's not going to be an effective fence. The point is, is when you're you're putting something down that someone else is going to connect to, when you're putting a foundational piece in, you got to get it just right. You can't even be a quarter of an inch off because the next generation that comes and connects to you, they need to make sure they're getting it square. And so at Christ Community Church, that was the first illustration I gave at the Founders Day. That's what we're trying to do is to make sure as long as I'm here that we're getting that first panel right because there'll be a day when somebody else has to connect that panel. It won't be me and it won't be you all. It'll be another group of people and we want to remind ourselves 
of what we what really brought us this far and remember to keep going in that same direction and so we do this sermon every year and there are three points as every great sermon three points first godly leadership secondly god's word and third courage first god's chosen leadership in the Bible, we see repeatedly this importance of this theme of leadership. It actually starts out in uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God made Adam and Eve in the image of God. So that's an, that's an important point just all by itself in our culture. We're not pieces of Play-Doh where we get to make ourselves into whatever image we want. No, we're actually made into God's image, and we have to live into that image. And part of that image bearing is Adam is supposed to be the leader. He's the one who's supposed to lead in his family, and as we know, he fails miserably. And we know he's the leader because when God comes back in the garden, the very first thing he says is, Adam, where are you? He, God is following his own chain of command. Adam was the one who was supposed to protect God's word, to honor God's word, and to protect his family. And he failed in both leadership accounts. And so God comes back in looking for Adam and says, hey, I need godly leadership who's going to make me look good, going to protect God's word, and also lead and protect people. In the book of Joshua, you could say we have another Adam. This Joshua, this Adam, Joshua, is leading back into a garden. It's called the promised land. And he's the leader, and his job is to honor God's word. That's why we say, don't turn to the left or turn to the right. Make sure you honor God's word, Joshua, or Adam, the new Adam, and lead people and lead them in the direction of God's word so that you might make God's name great. The past 19 years have gone by so quickly. You probably heard the saying, uh, the days are long, but the years go by quickly. And that's certainly been the case here. As Morgan said, we, we as a family share vivid memories of that first Founders Day. I was sitting inside here with Claude and Lori Eford, part of the founding of the church. And we were saying, hey, we remember being in that little room with 45 people. And about 25 people came to our Founders Day. And how different this is today. God has done so many things, and my hope is, Lord willing, I'll be here many more years, but there will be a, one Sunday that's going to be my last Sunday. And at that point, you have the responsibility, you as a member of Christ Community Church, you as a leader of Christ Community Church, to make sure somebody who comes up here and takes this place teaches, relies on, and follows God's word two characteristics that we see from Joshua of somebody who's who's got godly leadership first is that he is primarily focused on God in Joshua 1 1 it says the Lord spoke to Joshua and that's what we want we want somebody who's listening to the Lord which is through the word of God somebody who's following the word of God we don't want somebody we certainly don't want a leader who's following the mood of the congregation we don't want somebody who's following their own mood. We don't want somebody who's following the mood of the culture. We want somebody who knows God's mood and is following in his way. One of the greatest distractions for leadership, especially today, is uh, a hunger for novelty or popularity. I might call this manufactured awe. 
manufactured all. So many in the church are not really convinced that the word of God is awesome. They don't have that buried in their soul. And so they start a church or they come into a church and they're concerned that this isn't going to be awesome enough. So we have to manufacture some awe. One of those ways it got done several years ago now is a, um, a reality television show called Pulpit Masters. Here's the little tagline for Pulpit Masters. Could you be America's next inspired leader to make a difference in millions of people's lives? Are you filled with the fire and passion of God? We are looking for someone who can wow the pants off an audience. You hear what they're saying? We don't think this can wow the pants off anybody. So we need somebody who's got fire and passion who can somehow wow the pants off of you. And whether it's somebody who's got personal projection, celebrity kind of status, or you don't have that celebrity kind of status, so you have a big dark room with lights and a fog machine, whatever it is, you're trying to manufacture some awe in our culture because we're not really convinced that God is awesome. Christ Community Church, we would like for you to keep your pants on. We don't think we have to manufacture anything awesome. We have to get out of his way so you can see him. And when you do, when you meet the living Savior, he's awesome. And that's what the leader is supposed to do. The other thing, that other characteristic of leadership is he's supposed to be a servant. The word leader in the New Testament is listed three times. The word servant is listed 1,000 times. So the leader is a servant. Some of you know the founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley. There's a small statue of him in London, and at the base of the statue is a little inscription. John Wesley was five foot two inches tall, preached over 40,000 sermons, At 83 years old, think about that, 83 years old, he got angry at his doctor because his doctor told him to slow down. He said, hey, you can't, I'm limiting you to preach only 14 times a week. That's his limit, imagine that. And Wesley, three years later when he was 86, he wrote this in his journal, journal, laziness is slowly creeping in. There's an incredible tendency for me to stay in bed after 5.30 in the morning. Wow. On his statue are these words. Reader, if you feel constraint to praise the instrument, don't. Give God the glory. In Wesley's day, he understood there could be celebrity status of somebody. And you'd lift up somebody too high. And he's saying, don't do that. God's awesome. Give him the glory. So so no matter how powerful or dynamic a leader is, the church is about Jesus. It's not built on a pastor. It's not built on a group of elders. It's not built on a vision. It's not built on some person in church history. It's built on Jesus. He's the chief cornerstone. And every leader here must be his servant. So it takes godly leadership. It takes God's word. 
when you build a fence or anything that you're trying to make straight, you drop down a plumb line, the little blue chalk line. So you make sure when you put something up against it, you know it's straight. So everything else that comes up against it, if it's not right, you know it because of the plumb line. And so the, the word is the plumb line. And in this passage, chapter 1, God gives uh, uh, an exhortation to Joshua to stay and live according to the plumb line. And he does this in two ways, which I think is interesting. He does it verbally, and then he does it visually. So if you're the auditory learner, then you can just know, hey, God said it. If you're not the auditory learner, but you're the visual learner, then he's going to give you a visual illustration of what he means to follow after God's word. The first one, he says in Joshua chapter 1, be strong and courageous. Don't turn to the right or to the left. The word of God shall not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. These are God's words to Joshua. Joshua, you're going to enter into this culture. The culture isn't neutral. The culture is a river that's moving. And when you enter into it, if you're not careful, you're going to move along with the stream. And so I want, to, I want to make sure you don't get even a quarter of an inch off. You've got to not move to the right or to the left. You've got to keep your eyes on God's word. Some of you know this. When you get a pilot's license, there's two different ratings. There's a, what's called a visual rating and an instrument rating. In a visual rating, you could go up on a day like today because you don't need to look at it, your instruments. You can look at the ground and tell where, I, where am I, where is the airport, where are other planes? Which way am I going? So you just get up and you have to know how to navigate the plane, but you don't have to worry about really focused in on your instruments. But of course, if you want to be a pilot of any standing, you have to learn how to fly in clouds, fly in a storm. And so you get an instrument rating. In other words, you no longer are relying on your own senses. You're lo- relying on the instruments. And you've probably heard many tragic stories of people who've gone up into clouds and they don't realize which way they're flying. They even fly upside down, not realizing they're upside down. And tragically, some planes have flown into the ground thinking they're flying parallel to the ground. And why is that? Because they got disoriented. They had to rely on their senses, and the the pilot is supposed to rely on the gauges, the instruments. And so his case with you and I, when the culture comes at us, we have to rely on the gauge of God's word, not the gauge of our heart. Trusting in God's word is, is more difficult than we might imagine. Adam, you only have one word. Just don't eat of this tree. Everything else is yours, Adam. Just this one thing. And he can't seem to keep God's word. It's very easy for us to question God's word when things get difficult. So we need to keep our eyes on the instruments. The visual illustration. Remember when they're going to cross over the Jordan River, the priests are going to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And God says, hey, when the priests come out, make sure you're 2,000 cubits, which is about three football fields, away from God's word. Why? Because I don't want anybody to get confused who's leading here. And plus, you don't know where you're going. And so you need some time to focus in on the Lord and say, okay, he's going this way and not that way. So it's a visual representation. And we try to represent that at Christ Community Church on Sunday mornings typically. 
when we read God's word. Then we have this moment of silence. And we enjoy the silence, but the main reason for that started 19 years ago is to say, let's have some separation from God's word and Paul Phillips's word. I want you to make sure you know God's word is out front. It's leading, and I'm trying to help or point you in that direction, but God's word and my word are two totally different things. And so visually, we try to represent that as well. Finally, we see that in the third point, it takes courage. Yes, you have to have a godly leadership. Yes, you have to have a reliance on God's word. But at some point, you have to have courage. Be strong and courageous. It's mentioned three times. And I wonder, God sees Joshua. He's a five-star general. He's an older man at this point. He's seen all this kind of stuff with Moses. Why does he need this exhortation from God to be courageous? Well, first of all, he's entering into a hostile territory, the Canaanites. You remember, they seemed like giants to the Israelites. They came back at one point and said, hey, we look like little grasshoppers in their minds. So it would take courage to fight against a, a foe, a culture that seems bigger than you. To go into the culture instead of trying to go around it or withdraw takes courage. But the second thing, and maybe the more painful enemy for Joshua wasn't the people out there. It was the people he was leading. He'd spent 40 years in the desert. He'd heard the people complain constantly. He heard these people who got saved from slavery say, could you take us back to Egypt? It's easy to sit in a congregation and say, can we just go back to something that's easier? Can we do something that makes us more palatable to the culture? See, it's hard to lead against the culture, but Joshua knows he's not just going to have to lead against the culture. He's going to have to lead while he's taking arrows from behind. So God is saying, hey, you've got to be strong and courageous. And I, I want to thank the elders at Christ Community Church, the staff at Christ Community Church, the deacons at Christ Community Church. These are people who are willing to take the arrows from in front and behind. And I want to say thank you, because especially in the last... Ten years, this, this has been a great con congregation to lead, an easy congregation. And I think especially over the last year with COVID, there are a lot of congregations where pastors ended up with a lot of arrows in their back. And we had very few at Christ Community, and that's quite a, quite a credit to your own maturity. Thank you for that. Be strong and courageous. And then I love how the section closes in chapter 4. God's people crossed over. And then he sends one person from every tribe to collect these stones. It's called an Ebenezer. We sing that song, Come Thou Fount. I, I have an Ebenezer. It's, a, it's basically a pile of rocks that you know didn't get there on their own. So when people walk back, they say, hey, how did these 12 stones get here? And you're supposed to tell the story of God's faithfulness. And this is why we do this sermon every year. This is our Ebenezer. We're walking back by this same sermon and saying, hey, how did we get here? How did we get here? How did we get in this such a beautiful cathedral of God's creation? How did we get here? We got here by God. We didn't get here by me. We didn't get here by our staff. We didn't get here by any other reason. We got here by God alone. And we come every year 
back to the same ser- service and the same sermon to thank God for his faithfulness. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come together and just try to remind ourselves in the midst of this heat that it is the fire and passion of you that has made this possible. And we are so grateful to have the joy of sitting outside today and appreciating your creation, to see all these people, to have a chance in in a few hours to gather together, to eat, to have a party as a little sliver of your faithfulness and the party to come. We're thankful for the many people who have given to this project over the 19 years and some who have passed away. That their shadow is continuing to be cast by their faithfulness here. We pray as we grow up, as we mature, as we become more and more attuned to your image ourselves, we we ourselves would trust in you. We would follow after you. We would be strong and courageous. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.